Hello everybody, this is Chadwick. Again, I am going to continue on with chapter 2 of Ari Salvatore's Legend of Drizzt, book 1, Homeland, chapter 2, The Fall of House Devere. Dinan noted with satisfaction that any of the meandering bugbears or any other of the multitude of races that compose Menza Branson, Drow included, now made great haste to scurry out of his way. This time, the second boy of House Durden was not alone. Nearly sixty soldiers of the house walked in tight lines behind him. Behind these, in similar order, though with far less enthusiasm for the adventure, came a hundred armed slaves of lesser, lesser races, goblins, orcs, and bugbears. There could be no doubt for onlookers. A drow house was on the march to war. This was not an everyday event in Menzoberranzan, but neither was it unexpected. At least once every decade a house decided that its position within the city hierarchy could be improved by another house's elimination. It was a risky proposition, for all of the nobles of the victim house had to be disposed of quickly and quietly. If even one survived to lay an accusation upon the perpetrator, the attacking house would be eradicated by Menza Branson's merciless system of justice. If the raid was executed to devious perfection, though, no recourse would be forthcoming. All of the city, even the ruling council of the top eight matron mothers, would secretly applaud the attackers for their courage and intelligence. No more would ever be said of the incident. Dinan took a roundabout route, not wanting to lay a direct trail between House Dorden and House Devere. A half hour later, for the second time that night, he crept to the mushroom grove's southern end, to the cluster of stalagmites that held House Devere. His soldiers streamed out behind him eagerly, readying weapons and taking full measure of the structure before them. The slaves were slower in the movements. Many of them looked about for some escape, for they knew in their hearts that they were doomed in this battle. They feared the wrath of the Dark Elves more than death itself, though, and would not attempt to flee. With every exit out of Menza Branza protected by devious drow magic, where could they possibly go? Every one of them had witnessed the brutal punishments the drow elves exacted on recaptured slaves at Dinan's command. They jumped into their positions around the mushroom fence. Dinan reached into his large pouch and pulled out a heated shield of metal. He flashed the object, brightened in the infrared spectrum, three times behind him to signal the approaching brigades of Nelfian and Risen. Then, with his usual cockiness, Dinan spun it quickly into the air, caught it, and replaced it in the secrecy of his heat-shielding pouch. On cue, with the twirling signal, Dinan's drow brigade fitted enchanted darts to their tiny hand-held crossbows and took aim on the appointed targets. Every fifth mushroom was a shrieker, and every dart held a magical dwomer that would silence the roar of a dragon. Two, three, Dinan counted, his hand signaling the tempo, since no words could be heard within the sphere of magical silence cast about his troops. He imagined the click as the drawn string on his little weapon released, loosing the dart into the nearest shrieker. So it went all around the cluster of House Devere, the first line of alarm systematically silenced by three dozen enchanted darts. 
Halfway across Menzel Branson, Matron Malice, her daughters, and four of the house's common clerics were gathered in Loth's unholy circle of eight. They ringed an idol of their wicked deity, a gemstone carving of a drow-faced spider, and called to Loth for aid in their struggles. Malice sat at the head, propped in a chair angled for birthing. Brisa and Vierna flanked her, Brisa clutching her hand. The select group chanted in unison, <clears throat> combining their energies into a single offensive spell. A moment later, when Vierna, eventually linked to Dinin, understood that the first attack group was in position, the Dordan Circle of Eight sent the first insinuating waves of mental energy into the revival house, into the rival house. Matron Jennifer her two daughters and the five principal clerics of the common troops of House Devere huddled together in the darkened anteroom of the five stalagmite house's main chapel. They had gathered there in solemn prayer every night since Matron Jennifer had learned that she had fallen to Loth's disfavor. Jennifer understood how vulnerable her house remained until she could find a way to appease the Spider Queen. There were sixty-six other houses of Menza Brandon, full twenty of which might dare to attack House de Vere at such an obvious disadvantage. The eight clerics were anxious now, somehow suspecting that this night would be eventful. Jennifer felt it first, a chilling blast of confusing perceptions that caused her to stutter over her prayer of forgiveness. The other clerics of House de Vere glanced nervously at the matron's uncharacteristic slip of words, looking for confirmation. We are under attack, Jennifer breathed to them, her head already pounding with a dull ache under the growing assault of the formidable cl clerics of House Dorden. A second signal from Dinan put the slave troops into motion. Still using stealth as their ally, they quietly put rushed to the mushroom fence and cut through with wide-bladed swords. The second bowie of House Dorden watched and enjoyed as the courtyard of House Devere was easily penetrated. Not such a prepared guard, he whispered in silent sarcasm to the red glowing gargoyles on the high walls. The statues had seen such an ominous guard earlier that night. Now they just watched helplessly. Didn't recognize the measured but growing anticipation in the soldiers around him. Their drow battle-lust was barely contained. Every now and then came a killing flash as one of the slaves stumbled over a warding glyph. But the second boynia, the drow, only laughed at the spectacle. The lesser races were the expendable fodder of House Dorden's army. The only purpose in bringing the goblinoids to House Devere was to trigger the deadly traps and defenses along the perimeter, to lead the way for the drow elves, the true soldiers. The fence was now opened, and secrecy was thrown away. House Devere's soldiers met the invading slaves head-on within the compound. Dinan barely had his hand up to begin the attack command when his sixty anxious drow warriors jumped up and charged, their faces twisted in wicked glee and their weapons waving menacingly. They halted their approach on cue, though, remembering one final task set out to them. Every drow, noble or commoner, possess certain magical abilities. Bringing forth a globe of darkness, as Denon had done to the bugbears in the street earlier that night, came easily to even the lowliest of dark elves. So it went now. 
with sixty Dordan soldiers blotting out the perimeter of House Devere above the mushroom fence in ball after ball of blackness. For all of their stealth and precautions, House Dord knew that many eyes were watching the raid. Witnesses were not too much of a problem. They could not or would not care enough to identify the attacking house. But custom and rules demanded that certain attempts at secrecy be enacted. The etiquette of drow warfare, in the blink of a red-glowing drow eye, House Devere became, to the rest of the city, a dark blot on Menza Branson's landscape. Risen came up behind his youngest son. "'Well done,' he signaled in the intricate language of the drow. Nalfian is in through the back. An easy victory, the cocky didn't signal back, if Matron Jennifer and her clerics are held at bay. Trust in Matron Malice, was Risen's response. He clapped his son's shoulder and followed his troops in through the breached mushroom fence. High above the cluster of House of Air, Zach Nafian rested comfortably in the current arms of Brissa's aerial servant, watching the drama unfold. From this vantage, Zack could see within the ring of darkness and could hear within the ring of magical silence. Dinan's troops, the first draw soldiers in, had met resistance at every door and were being beaten badly. Nalfian and his brigade, the troops of House Dorden, most practiced in the ways of wizardry, came through the fence at the rear of the complex. Lightning strikes and magical balls of acid thundered into the courtyard at the base of the Devere structures, cutting down Dorden fodder and Devere defenses alike. In the front courtyard, Resident Dinan commanded the finest fighters of House Dorden. The blessings of Loth were with his house. Zack could see when the battle was fully joined, for the strikes of the soldiers of House Dorden came faster than those of their enemies, and their aim proved more deadly. In minutes, the battle had been taken fully inside the five pillars. Zack stretched the insistent chill out of his arms and willed the aerial servant to action. Down he plummeted on his windy bed, and then he fell free the last few feet to the terrace along the top chambers of the central pillar. At once, two guards, one female, rushed out to greet him. They hesitated in confusion, though trying to sort out the true form of this unremarkable gray blur too long. They had never heard of Zaknafian Dorden. They didn't know that death was upon them. Zack's whip flashed out, catching and gashing the female's throat, while his other hand walked his sword through a series of masterful thrusts and parries that put the male off balance. Zack finished both in a single blurring movement, snapping the whip-entwined female from the terrace with a twist of his wrist and spinning a kick into the male's face that likewise dropped him to the cavern floor. Zack was then inside, where another guard rose up to meet him, but fell at his feet. Zack slipped along the curving wall of the stalactite tower, his cooled body blending perfectly with the stone. Soldiers of House Devere rushed all about him, trying to formulate some defense against the host of intruders who had already won out the lowest level of every structure and had taken two of the pillars completely. Zack was not concerned with them. He blocked out the clanging ring of adamantite weapons, the cries of command and the screams of death, concentrating instead on a singular sound that would lead him to his destination, a unified, frantic chant. He found an empty corridor covered with spider carvings and running into the center of the pillar. As in House Dorden, this corridor ended in a large set of ornate double doors. 
their decorations dominated by arachnid forms. This must be the place, Zack muttered under his breath, fitting his hood to the top of his head. A giant spider rushed out of its concealment to his side. Zack dove to his belly and kicked out under the thing, spinning into a roll that plunged his sword deep into the monstrous, bulbous body. Sticky fluids gushed out over the weapon master, and the spider shuddered to a quick death. Yes, Zack whispered, wiping the spider juices from his face. This must be the place. He pulled the dead monster back into its hidden cubby and slipped in beside the thing, hoping that no one had noticed the brief struggle. By the sounds of ringing weapons, Zack could tell that the fighting had almost reached this floor. House Devere now seemed to have his defenses in place, though, and was finally holding its ground. Now, Malice, Zack whispered, hoping that Brisa, attuned to him in the meld, would sense his anxiety. Let us not be too late. Back in the clerical anteroom of House Dorden, Malice and his subordinates continued the brutal mental assault on the clerics of House de Vere. Loth heard her, their prayers, louder than those of their counterparts, giving the clerics of House Dorden the stronger spells in their mental combat. Already they had easily put their enemies into a defensive posture. One of the Lester priestesses of de Vere's circle of eight had been crushed by Brisa's mental insinuations and now lay dead on the floor, barely inches from Matron Jennifer's feet. But the momentum had slowed suddenly, and the battle seemed to be swinging back to an even level. Matron Malice, struggling with the impending birth, could not hold her concentration, and without her voice the spells of her unholy circle weakened. At her mother's side, powerful Brisa clutched her mother's hand so tightly that all the blood was squeezed from it, leaving it cool, the only cool spot on the laboring female to the eyes of the others. Brisa studied the contractions and the crowning cap of the coming child's white hair and calculated the time to the moment of birth. This technique of translating the pain of birth into an offensive spell attack had never been tried before except in legend, and Brisa knew that timing would be the critical factor. She whispered into her mother's ear, coaxing out the words of a deadly incantation. Matron Malice echoed back the beginnings of the spell, sublimating her gasps and transforming her rage of agony into offensive power. Din endured my bracken toll, Brisa implored. Din endured my bracken toll. Malice growled, so determined to focus through the pain that she bit through one of her thin lips. The baby's head appeared, more fully this time, and this time to stay. Brisa trembled and could barely remember the incantation herself. She whispered the final rune into the matron's ear, almost fearing the consequences. Malice gathered her breath and her courage. She could feel the tingling of the spell as clearly as the pain of the birth. To her daughter, standing around the idol, staring at her in disbelief, she appeared as a red blur of heated fury, streaking sweat lines that shone in brightly as the heat of boiling water. Abek, the matron began, feeling the pressure building to a crescendo. Abek, she felt the hot tear of her skin, the sudden slippery release as the baby's head pushed through, and the sudden ecstasy of birthing. Abek dinna preg to 
Malice screamed, pushing away all the agony in a final explosion of magical power that knocked even the clerics of her own house from their feet. Carried on the thrust of Matron Malice's exultation, the Dwarmer thundered into the chapel of House Devere, shattered the gemstone idol of Loth, sundered the double doors into heaps of twisted metal, and threw Matron Jennifer and her overmatched subordinates to the floor. Zack shook his head in disbelief as the chapel doors flew past him. Quite a kick, Malice. He chuckled and spun around the entry into the chapel. Using his infravision, he took a quick survey and headcount of the lightless room's seven living count occupants. All struggling back to their feet, their robes tattered. Again, shaking his head at the bared power of Matron Malice, Zack pulled his hood down over his face. A snap of his whip was the only explanation he offered as he smashed a tiny ceramic globe at his feet. The sphere shattered, dropping out a pellet that Brisa had enchanted for such occasions, a pellet glowing with the brightness of daylight. For eyes accustomed to blackness, tuned in to heats, emanations, the intrusion of such radiance came in a blinding flash of agony. The cleric's cries of pain only aided Zack in his systematic trek around the room, and he smiled widely under his hood every time he felt his sword bite into drow flesh. He heard the beginnings of a spell across the way and knew that one of the Deveres had recovered enough from the assault to be dangerous. The weapon master did not need his eyes to aim, however, and the crack of his whip took Matron Jennifer's tongue right out of her mouth. Brisa placed the newborn on the back of the spider idol and lifted the ceremonial dagger, pausing to admire its cruel workmanship. Its hilt was a spider's body sporting eight legs, barbed so as to appear furred, but ankled down to serve as blades. Brisa lifted the instrument above the baby's chest. Name the child, she implored her mother. The spider queen will not accept the sacrifice until the child is named. Matron Malice lulled her head, trying to fathom her daughter's meaning. The matron mother had thrown everything into the moment of the spell and the birth, and she was now barely coherent. Name the child, Brisa commanded, anxious to feed her hungry goddess. It nears its end, Dinan said to his brother when they met in the lower hall of the lesser pillars of House Devere. Resin is winning through the, to the top, and it is believed that Zaknafian's dark work has been completed. Two scores of House Devere's soldiers have already returned allegiance to us, Nalfian replied. They see the end, laughed Dinan. One house serves them as well as another, and in the eyes of commoners, no house is worth dying for. Our task will be finished soon. Too quickly for anyone to take note, Nalfian said. Now, Dorden, Dermer Nashes Bernan is the ninth house of Menzel Branson, and Devere be damned. Alert! Dinan cried suddenly, eyes widening in feigned horror as he looked over his brother's shoulder. Nalfian reacted immediately, spinning to face the danger at his back, only to put the true danger at his back. For even as Nalfian realized the deception, Dinan's sword slipped into his spine. Dinan put his head to his brother's shoulder and pressed his cheek to Nalfian's, watching the red sparkle of heat leave his brother's eyes. Too quickly for anyone to take note. Dinan teased, 
echoing his brother's earlier words. He dropped the lifeless form to his feet. Now Dinan is elder boy of House Dorden, and Nalthian be damned. Drizzt! breathed Matron Malice. The child's name is Drizzt! Brisa tightened her grip on the knife and began the ritual. Queen of Spiders, take this babe, she began. She raised the dagger to strike. Drizzt the Warden, we give you to the in payment for our glorious vic- Wait! Called Maya from the side of her room. Her melding with her brother, Nalfian, had abruptly ceased, and it could only mean one thing. Nalfian is dead, she announced. The baby is no longer the third living son. Vianna glanced curiously at her sister. The same instant that Maya had sensed Nalfian's death, Verna, melded with Dinan, had felt a strong emotive surge. Elation? Vienna brought a slender finger up to her pursed lips, wondering if Dinan had successfully pulled off the assassination. Brisa still held the spider-shaped knife over the babe's chest, wanting to give this one to Loth. We promised the Spider Queen the third living son, Maya warned, and that has been given. But not in sacrifice, Brisa argued. Vienna shrugged at a loss. If Loth accepted Nalfian, then he has been given. To give another might evoke the... But in the almost four centuries since, Malice had produced only five other children. Even this baby, Drizzt, had come as a surprise, and Malice hardly expected that she would ever conceive again. Enough of such contemplations, Malice whispered to herself, exhausted. There will be ample time. She sank back into her chair and fell into fitful, though wickedly pleasant, dreams of heightening power. Zagnafian walked through the central pillar of the Devere complex, his hood on in his hand and his whip and sword comfortably replaced on his belt. Every now and then a ring of battle sounded, only to be quickly ended. House Dorden had rolled through to victory. The tenth house had taken the fourth, and now all that remained was to remove evidence and witnesses. One group of lesser female clerics marched through, tending to the wounded Dordans and animating the corpses of those beyond their ability, so that the bodies could walk away from the crime scene. Back of the Dorden compound, those corpses not beyond repair would be resurrected and put back to work. Zack turned away with a visible shudder as the clerics moved from room to room, the marching line of Dordan zombies growing even longer in their backs. As distasteful as Zagnafian found this troop, the one that followed was even worse. The two Dordan clerics led a contingent of soldiers through the structure, using detection spells to determine hiding places of surviving Devere's. One stopped in the hallway just a few steps from Zack. Her eyes turned inward as she felt the emanations of her spell. She held her fingers out in front of her, tracing a slow line, like some macabre divining rod, toward drow flesh. In there, she declared, pointing to a panel at the base of the wall. The soldiers jumped to it like a pack of ravenous wolves and tore through the secret door. Inside, a hidden cubby huddled the children of House de Vere. These were nobles, not commoners and could not be taken alive. 
Zack quickened his pace to get beyond the scene, but he heard vividly the children's helpless screams as the hungry Dorden soldiers finished the job. Zack found himself in a run now. He rushed around a bend in the hallway, nearly bowling over Din and Risen. Nalfian is dead, Risen declared impassively. Zack immediately turned a suspicious eye on the younger Dorden son. I killed the Devere soldier who committed the deed, Dinan assured him, not even hiding the cocky smile. Zack had been around for nearly four centuries, and he was certainly not ignorant of the ways of his ambitious race. The brother princes had come in defensively at the back of the lines, with a host of Dorden soldiers between them and the enemy. By the time they had even encountered a drow that was not of their own house, the majority of the Devere surviving soldiers had already switched allegiance to House Dorden. Zack doubted that either of the Dorden brothers had even seen action against the Devere. The description of the carnage in the prayer room has been spread throughout the ranks, Risen said to the weapon master. You performed with your usual excellence, and we have come to as we have come to expect. Zack shot the patron a glare of contempt and kept on his way. Down, though, the structure's main doors and out beyond the magical darkness and into the silence of Menzel Brandon's dark dawn. Risen was Matron Malice's present partner in a long line of partners and no more. When Malice was finished with him, she would either relegate him back to the ranks of the common soldiery, stripping him of the name Dorden and all the rights that accompanied it, or she would dispose of him. Zack owed him no respect. Zack moved out beyond the mushroom fence to the highest vantage point he could find, then fell to the ground. He watched, amazed, a few moments later when the procession, procession of the Dorden army, patron and son, soldiers and clerics, in the slow-moving line of two dozen drow zombies, made its way back home. They had lost and left behind nearly all of their slave fodder in the attack. But the line leaving the wreckage of House de Vere was longer than the line that had come in earlier that night. The slaves had been replaced twofold by captured de Vere slaves, and fifty or more of the de Vere common troops showing typical drow loyalty had willingly joined the attackers. These traitors drow would be interrogated, magically interrogated, by the Dorden clerics to ensure their sincerity. They would pass the test to a one, Zack knew. Drow elves were creatures of survival, not of principle. The soldiers would be given new identities and would be kept within the privacy of the Dwarden compound for a few months, until the fall of House de Vere became an old and forgotten tale. Zack did not follow immediately. Rather, he cut through the rows of mushroom trees and found a secluded dell where he plopped down on a patch of mossy carpet and raised his gaze to the eternal darkness of the cavern's ceiling and the eternal darkness of his existence. It would have been prudent for him to remain silent at that time. He was an invader to the most powerful section of the vast city. He thought of the possible witnesses to his words, the same dark elves who had watched the fall of House de Vere, who had wholeheartedly enjoyed the spectacle. In the face of such behavior and such carnage as this knight had seen, Zack could not contain his emotions. His lament came out as a plea to some god beyond his experience. What place is this that is my world? What dark coil has my spirit embodied? 
he whispered the angry disclaimer that had always been a part of him. In light, I see my skin is black. In darkness, it glows white in the heat of this rage I cannot dismiss. Would that I had the courage to depart this place or this life, or to stand openly against the wrongness that is the world of these, my kin, to seek an existence that does not run afoul to that which I believe, and to that which I hold dear faith is truth. Zachnafi endured, and I am called, yet a drow I am not, by choice or by deed. Let them discover this being that I am, then. Let them rain their wrath on these old shoulders, already burdened by the hopelessness of Menza Branson. Ignoring the consequences, the weapon master rose to his feet and yelled, Menza Branson, what hell are you? A moment later, when no answer echoed back out of the quiet city, Zack flexed the remaining chill of Brees's wand from his weary muscles. He found some comfort as he patted the web, the whip on his belt, the instrument that had taken the tongue from the mouth of a matron mother. Chapter 3 The Eyes of a Child Mesoge, the young apprentice, which at this point in his magic-using career meant that he was no more than a cleaning attendant, leaned on the broom and watched as Alton de Vere moved through the door into the highest chamber of the spire. Massage almost felt sympathy for the student, who had to go in and face the faceless one. Massage felt excitement as well, though, knowing that the ensuing fireworks between Alton and the faceless master would be well worth the watching. He went back to his sweeping, using the broom as an excuse to get farther around the curve of the room's floor, closer to the door. He requested my presence, Master Faceless One, Alton Devere said again, keeping one hand in front of his face and squinting to the f to fight the brilliant glare of the room's three lighted candles. Alton shifted uncomfortably from one foot to the other, just inside the shadowy room's door. Hunched across the way, the Faceless One kept his back to the young Devere. Better to be done with this cleanly, the Master reminded himself. He knew, though, that the spell he was now preparing would kill Alton before the student could learn his family's fate, before the faceless one could fully complete Din and Dwarden's final instructions. Too much was at stake. Better to be done with this cleanly. You! Alton began again, but he prudently held his words and tried to sort out the situation before him. How unusual to be summoned to the private chambers of a master of the academy before the day's lessons had even begun. When he had first received the summons, Alton feared that he had somehow failed one of his lessons. That could be a fatal mistake in sorcery. Alton was close to graduation, but the disdain of a single master could put an end to that. He had done quite well in his lessons with the faceless one, had he even believed that this mysterious master favored him. Could this call be simply a courtesy of congratulations on his impending graduation? Unlikely. Alton realized against his hopes. Masters of the Drow Academy did not often congratulate students. Alton then heard quiet chanting and noticed that the master was in the midst of spellcasting. Something cried out as very wrong to him now. 
Something about this whole situation did not fit the strict ways of the academy. Alton set his feet firmly and tensed his muscles, following the advice of the motto that he had drilled into the thoughts of every student at the academy. The precept that kept drow elves alive in a society so devoted to chaos. Be prepared. The doors exploded before him, showering the room with stone splinters and throwing massage back against the wall. He felt the show well worth both the inconvenience and the new bruise on his shoulder when Alton Devere scrambled out of the room. The student's back and left arm trailed wisps of smoke, and the most exquisite expression of terror and pain that massage had ever seen was etched in the Devere noble's face. Alton stumbled to the floor and kicked into a roll, desperate to put some ground between himself and the murderous master. He made it down and around the descending arc of the room's floor, through the door that led into the next lower chamber, just as the faceless one made his appearance at the sundered door. The master stopped to spit a curse at his misfire and to consider the best way to replace his door. Clean it up! He snapped at Massage, who was again leaning casually with his hands atop the br his broomstick and his chin atop his hands. Massage obediently dropped his head and started sweeping the stone splinters. He looked up as the faceless one stalked past, however, and cautiously started after the master. Alton couldn't possibly escape, and the show would be too good to miss. The third room, the faceless one's private library, was the brightest of the four in the spire and the dozens of candles burning on each wall. Damn the light! Alton spat, stumbling his way down to the dizzying blur to the door that led to the faceless one's entry hall, the lowest room of the master's quarters. If he could get down from this spire and outside the tower to the courtyard of the academy, he might be able to turn the momentum against his master. Alton's world remained the darkness of Benza Branson, but the faceless one who had spent so many decades in the candlelight of Sociere, had grown accustomed to his using his eyes to see shades of light, not heat. The entry hall was cluttered with chairs and chests, but only one candle burned there, and Alton could see clearly enough to dodge or leap any obstacles. He rushed to the door and grabbed the heavy latch. They turned easily enough, but when Alton tried to shoulder through the door, the door did not budge, and a burst of sparkling blue energy threw him back to the floor. "'Curse this place!' Alton spat. The portal was magically held. He knew a spell to open such enchanted doors, but doubted whether his magic would be strong enough to dispel the castings of a master. In his haste and fear, the words of the Dwemer floated through Alton's thoughts in an undecipherable jumble. Do not run, Devere, came the faceless one's call from the previous chamber. You only lengthen your torment. A curse upon you, too, Alton replied under his breath. Alton forgot about the stupid spell. It would never come to him in time. He glanced around the room for an option. His eyes found something unusual halfway up the side wall, in an opening between two large cabinets. Alton scrambled back a few steps to get a better angle, but found himself caught within the range of the candlelight, within the deceptive field where his eyes registered both heat and light. He could only discern that this section of the wall showed a uniform glow in the heat pest spectrum, and that its hue was subtly different from the stone of the walls. Another doorway? Alton could only hope his guess to be right. He rushed back to the center of the room, stood directly across from the object, and forced his eyes away from the infrared spectrum, fully back to the world of light. 
As his eyes adjusted, what came into view both startled and confused the young Devere. He saw no doorway, nor any opening with another chamber behind it. What he looked upon was a reflection of himself and a portion of the room he now stood in. Alton had never, in his fifty years of life, witnessed such a spectacle, but he had heard the masters of Sorcera speak of these devices. It was a mirror. A movement in the upper doorway of the chamber reminded Alton that the faceless one was almost upon him. He couldn't hesitate to ponder his options. He put his head down and charged the mirror. Perhaps it was a teleportation door to another section of the city, perhaps a simple door to a room beyond, or perhaps, Alton dared to imagine in those few desperate seconds, this was some interplanar gate that would bring him into a strange and unknown plane of existence. He felt the tingling excitement of adventure pulling him on as he neared the wondrous thing. Then he felt only the impact, the shattering glass, and the yielding, unyielding stone wall behind it. Perhaps it was just a mirror. Look at his eyes, Vierna whispered to Maya as they examined the newest member of House Dorden. Truly, the babe's eyes were remarkable. Although the child had been out of the womb for less than an hour, the pupils of his orb started back and forth inquisitively. While they showed the expected radiating glow of eyes being seeing into the infrared spectrum, the familiar redness was tinted by a shade of blue, giving them a violet hue. Blind? wondered Maya. Perhaps this one will be given to the Spider Queen still. Brisa looked back to them anxiously. Dark elves did not allow children showing any physical deficiency to live. Not blind, replied Vierna, passing her hand over the child and casting an angry glare at both of her eager sisters. He follows my fingers. Maya saw that Vierna spoke the truth. She leaned closer to the babe, studying his face and strange eyes. What do you see, Tris Dorden? She asked softly, not in an act of gentleness toward the babe, but so that she would not disturb her mother, resting in the chair at the head of the spider idol. What do you see that the rest of us cannot? Glass crunched under Alton, digging deeper wounds as he shifted his weight in an effort to rise to his feet. What would it matter, he thought. My mirror! He heard the faceless one groan, and he looked up to see the outraged master towering over him. How huge he seemed to Alton, how great and powerful, fully blocking the candlelight from this little alcove between the cabinets. His form enhanced tenfold to the eyes of the helpless victim by the mere implications of his presence. Alton then felt a gooey substance floating down around him detached webbing, finding a sticky hold on the cabinets, on the wall, and on Alton. The young Devere tried to leap up and roll away, but the faceless one's spell already held him fast, trapped him as a dirge fly would be trapped in the strands of a spider's home. First my door, the faceless one growled at him. And now, this, my mirror... Do you know the pains I suffered to acquire such a rare device? Alton turned his head from side to side, not an answer, but to free his, at least his face from the blinding, binding substance. Why did you not just stand still and let the deed be finished cleanly? The faceless one roared, thoroughly disgusted. Why? Alton lisped, spitting some of the webbing from his thin lips. Why? 
would you want to kill me? Because you broke my mirror, the faceless one shot back. It didn't make any sense, of course. The mirror had only been shattered after the initial attack, but the master, Alton supposed, it didn't have to make sense. Alton knew his cause to be hopeless, but he continued on in his efforts to dissuade his opponent. "'You know of my house, of House de Vere,' he said, indignant. Fourth in the city, Matron Jennifer will not be pleased. A high priestess has ways to learn the truth of such situations.' "'House de Vere?' the faceless one laughed. Perhaps the torment that Dinan Dorden had requested would be in line after all. Alton had broken his mirror. Fourth house!' Alton spat. "'Foolish youth!' The faceless one cackled. Devere is no more. <laughs> not fourth, not fifty-fourth, nothing. Alton slumped, though the webbing did its best to hold his body erect. What could the master be babbling about? They are all dead, the faceless one taunted. Matron Jennifer sees Loth more clearly this day. Alton's expression of horror pleased the disfigured master. All dead, he snarled one more time, except for poor Alton, who lives on to hear his family's misfortune. That oversight shall be remedied now. The faceless one raised his hands to cast a spell. Who? Alton cried. The faceless one paused and seemed not to understand. What house did this? The doomed student clarified. What conspiracy of houses brought down Devere? Ah, you should be told, replied the faceless one, obviously enjoying the situation. I suppose it's wor it is your right to know before you join your kin in the realm of death. A smile widened across the opening from where his lips had once been. But you broke my mirror, the master growled. Die, stupid, stupid boy! Find your own answers! The faceless one's chest jerked out suddenly, and he shuddered in convulsions, babbling curses in a tongue far beyond the terrified student's comprehension. What vile spell did this disfigured master have prepared for him, so wretched that its chant sounded in an arcane language foreign to learned Alton's ears, so unspeakably evil that its semantics jerked on the very edge of its captor's control, the faceless one then fell forward to the floor and expired. Stunned, Alton followed the line of the master's hood down to his back, to the tail of a protruding dart. Alton watched the poisoned thing as it continued to shudder from the body's impact. Then he turned his scan upward to the center of the room where the young cleaning attendant stood calmly. Nice weapon, faceless one, Massage beamed. Rolling a two-handed crafted crossbow over his hands, he threw a wicked smile to Alton and fitted another dart. Matron Malice hoisted herself out of her chair and wheeled herself to her feet. Out of the way, she snapped at her daughter's Maya and Verna scooted away from the spider idol and the baby. See his eyes, matron mother, Vienna dared to remark. They are so unusual. Matron Malice studied the child. Everything seemed in place, and a good thing, too, for Nalfian, the elder boy of House Dorden, was dead, and this boy, Drizzt, would have a difficult job replacing the valuable son. 
His eyes, the earnest said again. The matron shot her a venomous look, but bent low to see what the fuss was about. Purple? Matron Malice startled. Never had she heard of such a thing. He is not blind, Maya was quick to put in, seeing the disdain spreading across her mother's face. Fetch the candle, Matron Malice ordered. Let us see how these eyes appear in the world of light. Maya and Vierna reflexively headed for the sacred cabinet, but Brisa cut them off. Only a high priestess may touch the holy items, she reminded them in a tone that carried the weight of a threat. She spun around haughtily, reached into the cabinet, and produced a single half-used red candle. The clerics hid their eyes, and Matron Malice put a prudent hand over the baby's face as Brisa lit the sacred candle. It produced only a tiny flame, but to drow eyes it came as a brilliant intrusion. Bring it, said Matron Malice, after several moments of adjusting. Brisa moved the candle near Drizzt, and Malice gradually slid her hand away. He does not cry, Brisa remarked, amazed that the babe would quietly accept such a stinging light. Purple again, whispered the matron, paying no heed to her daughter's rambling. In both worlds the child's eyes show as purple. Fierna gasped audibly when she looked again upon her tiny brother and his striking lavender orbs. He is your brother, Matron Malice reminded her, viewing Vierna's gasp as a hint of what might come. When he grows older and those eyes pierce you so, remember on your life that he is your brother. Fiona turned away, almost blurting a reply she would have regretted making. Matron Malice's exploits with nearly every male soldier of the House of Orden and many others that the seductive matron managed to sneak away from other houses were almost legendary men's of Brandon. Who was she to be spouting reminders of prudent and proper behavior? Fierna bit her lip and hoped that neither Brisa nor Malice had been reading her thoughts at that moment. And Menza Baranzan, thinking such gossip about a high priestess, whether or not it was true, got you painfully executed. Her mother's eyes narrowed, and Vierna thought she had been discovered. He is yours to prepare, Matron Malice said to her. Maya's younger, Vienna dared to protest. I could attain the level of high priestess in but a few years, if I may keep to my studies. Or never, the matron sternly reminded her. Take the child to the chapel proper, wean him to words, and teach him all that he will need to know to properly serve as a page prince of House Dorden. I will see to him, Brisa offered, one hand subconsciously slipping to her snake-headed whip. I do so enjoy teaching males the place in our world. Malice glared at her. You are a high priestess. You have other duties more important than word-weaning a male child. Then to Vienna she said, The babe is yours. Do not disappoint me in this. The lessons you teach Trist will reinforce your own understanding of our ways. This exercise at mothering will aid you in your quest to become a high priestess. She let Vienna take a moment to view the task in a more positive light, then her tone became unmistakably threatening once again. It may aid you, but it surely can destroy you. Vienna sighed but kept her thoughts silent. 
The chore that Matron Malice had dropped on her shoulders would consume the bulk of her time for at least ten years. Fanner didn't like the prospects. She and his purple-eyed child together for ten long years. The alternative, however, the wrath of Matron Malice to Orden, seemed the worst thing by far. Alton blew another web from his mouth. You are just a boy, an apprentice, he stammered. Why would you kill him? Massage entered the finished the thought. Not to save you, if that is your hope. He spat down at the faceless one's body. Look at me, a prince of the sixth house, a cleaning steward for that wretched Honette. Alton cut in. House Honette is the sixth house. The younger drow put a finger to pursed lips. Wait. He remarked with a widening smile, an evil smile of sarcasm. We are the fifth house now, I suppose, with the veil wiped out. Not yet, Alton growled. Momentarily, Massage ensured him, fingering the crossbow quarrel. Alton slumped even further back in the web. To be killed by a master was bad enough, but the indignity of being shot down by a boy. I suppose I should thank you, Message said. I had planned to kill that one for many weeks. Why? Alton pressed his new assailant. You would dare to kill a master of sorcery simply because your family put you into servitude to him? Because he would snub me, Massage yelled. Four years I have slaved for him. That back end of a carrion crawler cleaned his boots, prepared salve for a disgusting face. Was it ever enough? Not for that one. He spat at the corpse again and continued, talking more to himself than to the trapped student. Nobles aspiring to wizardry have the advantage of being trained as apprentices before they reach the proper age for entry into sorcier. Of course, Alton said. I myself trained under. He meant to keep me out of sorcier. Massage rambled, ignoring Alton altogether. He would have forced me into Mila McFerry, the fighter's school instead. The fighter's school. My twenty-fifth birthday is only two weeks away. Massage looked up, as though he suddenly remembered that he was not alone in the room. I knew I must kill him, he continued, now speaking directly at Alton. Then you come along and make it all so convenient. A student and master killing each other in a fight? It had happened before. Who would question it? I suppose, then, that I should thank you, Alton Devere, of no house worth mentioning. Massage chided with a low, sweeping bow. Before I kill you, I mean. Wait, cried Alton. Kill me to what gain? Alibi. But you have your alibi, and we can make it better. Explain. Even, said Massage, who admittedly was in no particular hurry. The faceless one was a high-level wizard. The webs weren't going anywhere any time soon. Free me, Alton said earnestly. Can you be as stupid as the faceless one proclaimed you? Alton took the insult stoically. The kid had the crossbow. Free me so that I may assume the faceless one's identity, he explained. The death of a master arouses suspicion, but if no master is believed dead... And what of this, Massage asked, kicking the corpse. Burn it, said Alton, his desperate plan coming fully into focus. Let it be, Alton Devere. House Devere is no more, so there will be no retaliation, no questions. Massage seemed skeptical. The faceless one was practically a hermit, 
Alton reasoned, and I am near to graduation. Certainly I could handle the simple chores of basic teaching after thirty years of study. And what is my gain? Alton got, nearly burying himself in webbing as if the answer were obvious. A master and sorcerer, eh? To call mentor? One who can ease your way through the, your years of study? And one who can dispose of a witness at his earliest convenience, Massage added slightly. And what then would be my gain, Elton shot back, to anger House Hunette, fifth in all the city, and with I, with no family at my back? No, young Massage, I am not as stupid as the faces one named me. Massage ticked a long and pointed fingernail against his teeth and considered the possibilities. An ally among the masters of Sorcieri? This helmed possibilities. Another thought popped into Massage's mind, and he pulled open the cabinet to Alton's side and began rummaging through the contents. Alton flinched when he heard some ceramic and glass containers crashing together, thinking of the components, possibly even completed potions, that might be lost by the apprentice's carelessness. Perhaps Melemic Fairy would be a better choice for this one, he thought. A moment later, though, the younger drow reappeared and appeared, and Alton remembered that he was in no position to make such judgments. This is mine, Massage demanded, showing Alton a small black object, a remarkably detailed onyx figurine of a hunting panther. A gift from a denizen of the lower plains for some help I gave to him. You aided such a creature? Alton had to ask, finding it difficult to believe that a mere apprentice had the resources necessary to even survive an encounter with such an unpredictable and mighty foe. The faceless one, Massage kicked the corpse again, took the credit and the statue, but they are mine. Everything else in here will go to you, of course. I know that the magical dwarmers of most, and I will show you what it is what. Brightening at the hope that he would indeed survive this dreadful day, Alton cared little about the figurine at that moment. All he wanted was to be freed of the web so that he could find out the truth of his house's fate. Then Massage, ever a confusing young drow, turned suddenly and started away. "'Where are you going?' Alton asked. "'To get the acid.' "'Acid?' Alton hid his panic well, though he had a terrible feeling that he had understood what Massage meant to do. "'You want the disguise to appear authentic?' Massage explained unmatter-of-factly. Otherwise, it would not be much of a disguise. We should take advantage of the web while it lasts. It will hold you still. No, Elton started to protest, but Massage wheeled on him, the evil grin wild on his face. It does seem a bit of pain and a lot of trouble to go through, Massage admitted. You have no family, and I will find no allies in Sociere, since the faceless one was so despised by the other masters. He brought the crossbow up level with Alton's eyes and fitted another poison dart. Perhaps you would prefer death. Get the acid, Alton cried. To what end? Massage teased, waving the crossbow. What have you to live for, Alton Devere, of no house worth mentioning? Revenge, Alton sneered in sheer the sheer wrath of his tone setting the confident massage on his heels. You have not learned this yet, though you will, my young student, but nothing in life gives more purpose than the hunger for revenge. Massage lowered the bow and eyed the trapped trow with respect, almost fear. Still, 
the apprentice Honet could not appreciate the gravity of Alton's proclamation until Alton reiterated it this time with an eager smile on his face. Get the acid. And that is the end of the next episode. Finishing up chapters two and three. I will try, it looks like I'll be able to fit in within the hour time period I have, approximately two chapters in every episode. So we should be through this book and well on our way. I want to thank all of you for sticking around and listening again to this next episode of The Legend of Drizzt by R.A. Salator, Book One, Homeland. Thank you, and beware the darkness.